0: Thank you, Debbie and Praise Team, for leading us in, in worship. Take a short break uh, this Sunday and probably next with Larry Ford here. Uh, not too sure about that, though. Uh, from our series on, on uh, Revelation, um, this morning I'm going to be in the book of James. James, the brother of Jesus. James chapter 2. If you wanted to follow along. Starting at verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do you wish... Do you... uh, Let me start again. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe and your glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppresses you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without Mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. She is never named, yet her encounter with Jesus is the longest between the Messiah and any other individual in the Gospel of John. Bear with me here, I know I'm in J- reading from James, but I'm telling a story from John. Representing the lowest of the low, a female in a society where, where women are both demeaned and de- dis- disregarded, a race traditionally despised by the Jews, and living in shame as a social outcast, she not only has a holy encounter with the Christ but also receives eternal salvation and her testimony convinces an entire town to believe also what was the significance of the woman at the well and why is her tale important to us to the christian believers of today the story of the woman at the well is one of the most iconic encounters in the bible I love it. Told in John 4, 1-42, to it depicts how Jesus traveling through Samaria, by the way, he intentionally chooses to go this route when those traveling with him, the first disciples he called, wanted to go a different route. He chooses the road to Samaria on the way to Galilee. He sat down at the well in the town of Sakaar. Sy- uh, There around noon, while his disciples went into town to buy food, he encountered a Samaritan woman coming to draw water from the well. He asked her for a drink. You know the story. I know you do. And their talk took off from there, culminating in her salvation and and more from her town too. We're told a few key, few key facts about this woman. While her name was never revealed, we know she was a female. She was a Samaritan, a race with whom the Jews did not associate, as scriptures explain. We know she had five husbands, and the man she had currently was not her husband. We also know from understanding cultural and historical traditions of the time uh, that women typically drew water in groups in the morning, and it was often a social occasion. The fact that she was drawing water alone at midday probably indicates that she was a social outcast. I love this story. I love how it's depicted in the Chosen series. Don't know if you've gotten to see that yet. It's, it's the last episode of season one. Well, this biblical story in John It sets us up for what's happening here in James. James, the brother of Jesus, is speaking wholeheartedly to the church. James has come to realize that there are some issues that needed to be addressed in the church that he's in charge of. One of them being favoritism and judgment. Well, we'll see today how he tells he tells us how we have to help others. He really wants us to think about how we trust people or treat people, and particularly how a person's social or economic status might affect us, and how we think or treat others affects us from the inside out. Before we dive deeper into James 2, I want us to see that however we might make judgments, and we all do. The Bible makes, it makes the, no difference to God today, whether you're young or old, highly educated or not, famous or unknown. He wants you to know Him and come to know His love. You can share then His love with the world. God doesn't love you more or less according to the color of your skin. Or the clothes that you wear on your body. He doesn't judge like that. He's not impressed by the car you drive. The fashion you wear. Or the maybe if you have more degrees than a thermometer. Second Chronicles 19.7 says, it tells us, With the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality. That word partiality... That's what comes out in some of the translations. means favoritism. Treating people differently in an unfair way. Of course, people are different. That's part of the genius of God's creativity. That nobody's the same. All of us are unique. All of us have different fingerprints. All of us grieve in different ways. The Lord deals with us all as individuals... Like a good parent loves each child just the same, but doesn't treat them all the same because you know their differences. Deuteronomy ten seventeen says, The Lord our God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, no favoritism, As you read through the Bible, have you noticed how time after time, all through Old Testament, New Testament, all through time, God picks people other people would judge as unworthy. I want you to remember that word, worthy or unworthy. God picks people other people would judge as unworthy. Even they would rule themselves out. We might look in the mirror and not like what we see. But we remember that James told us elsewhere that the word of God is the most trustworthy mirror. Because in here, you see the you that he sees. You see the you that God sees. We judge by what we see. So does God. But only God sees the heart. Only God can peer into our inside. What is favoritism? James 2.1 2, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The root of favoritism means to lift up somebody's face, to, to elevate them, to put them maybe up on a pedestal. The idea is to Judge someone and take them at face value. A super, superficial kind of evaluation of a person's worth based on nothing but what appears on the outside. I wonder what you would think of me if I came this morning, uh, I don't know, dressed in old raggedy clothes. Would you think, oh, preacher's dressed homeless today. What is favoritism the surface? James is categorical here to tell us that that showing favoritism is absolutely incompatible with being a Christian. In verse 9, he says, if you do that, you break the most important law of God. Wow. Pause for a moment and let that sink in. Who was James's brother? I've said it two or three times now. Jesus, technically half brother, but he grew up with this older brother. James did, who would who he would call Yeshua, which is an ordinary name, and James, uh, James's name would be, I think this is right, Yaakov. And then there was Jude, another brother and sister. They're unnamed, an ordinary family, judging by appearances. We don't know the birth order after this for sure, but it's pretty clear that that Jesus knew he was something special. His mother treasured in her heart what the angel Gabriel told her and Joseph about the special virgin birth. The visions, bringing gifts, the visitors, of the, the three magi bringing gifts for the king, the prophecies in the temple when they took them to be dedicated, the escape in the night to Egypt. Then Jesus grew up. Mary and Joseph had various children together. Who do you think would have been the favorite in Jesus' family? I mean, I'm the youngest of two sons. The youngest children always think they're the favorite. My older brother might disagree, but this must have been tough for James growing up. With the perfect older brother, especially when Jesus leaves home to start preaching, to start healing, to start doing miracles, and then he gets into trouble for it. And I'm sure James must have been going crazy. But if you want to prove you really are God, dying and then raising again should do it, right? Now James has come to see after Jesus died and rose again and appeared to him that his brother was not just my brother. He was all along, as he says, there, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. God, come to live with us. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, is a quote from Eugene Peterson. Now when you get that, whatever growing up was like, whatever the word family means to you, it really helps you not to feel inferior or superior to anyone else. You're just amazingly blessed. Because the most important person in the universe, the King of Kings, doesn't just want to be your friend, but he wants to be family with you forever. Forever. The most important VIP in the universe has come to meet you, find you, love you, invite you into his family forever. So James says, hey, brothers, hey, sisters, don't play favorites. We're all on equal footing here. Now, the outworking of this inward realization is is that we shouldn't go around judging externals. And the perverse thing is he specifically says this should not happen within our gatherings. This should not happen within the church. You know, it was was reflected even more in the temple with various courts and, and, and signs delineating who was allowed where, according to their sex, according to their race, according to their status. There were distinct chambers in the temple. And only the, uh, the, the chief high priest's most holy person was allowed into the Holy of Holies. And then the next chamber out, right outside the Holy of Holies, uh, is where, I believe if I'm getting this right, the, the rest of the priests were allowed to be. And then, then the next chamber out, and so on and so on. You had where the men were. And they were more superior than the women. And then you had the place where people who were inferior to women. So there was this, almost like this caste system within the temple. Hmm. Now imagine James. He says here, in our text this morning, this is going to sound a little odd. Goldfinger pulls up outside your gathering, outside the church here, on the latest model camel. Now, we don't have camels, but it's in the context of when they did have camels. They drove camels. It was like a, I don't know, a Cadillac. He, he was, he's blinged up. He's literally a gold-fingered man. Very few poor people could afford a gold ring in those times. The most ostentatious people in the ancient world would wear rings on their thumbs and every finger except their middle finger. Sometimes six rings to a finger. The ring rental business business is where you could go. You could go and rent rings if you wanted to make a big impression on the people you were going to see. His clothes were dazzling too. Literally the word here in the text means shining like a lamp. He was loud, he was flashy. What do you do with them? What do we do with them? Welcome him, love him. Tell him that King Jesus became poor for the sake, for his sake, and when he came to die for his sins, and now he's alive to be family with him. Treat him the very best you can, so that he knows God loves him. outside doesn't matter. However successful he looks, however prosperous in this life, he needs the Lord to live in his heart and change him from the inside out. In a synagogue of the time, that'd be church for them, there'd be a few seats or benches, very, very few seats or benches. Most people sat crisscrossed on the floor. But what if our dazzled, blingy, flashy man, what if we gave him the best seat? Maybe next to the offering plate. Not even noticing maybe a poor person who only owns one robe, who, who's old and filthy and who perhaps sleeps and lives in that one robe. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving the first guy a good seat, literally, an elevated seat, an elevated position, as long as you do the same for the poor man too. But if I don't, judging by appearances, making prejudgment about him, I become prejudice, a judge with evil intent. That word here is evil. Can translate as vicious. Judging that that rich are better than the poor. James says that that's not now. Now we're all one family. James wants us the church to know that Jesus came and broke through these barriers. Literally. Remember the, Tur- the, the temple curtain tour? He, he broke through these barriers with his life during his ministry, during the Passion Week. Don't show favoritism, do not judge. Sociologist Brené Brown, I don't know if you ever heard of her. She did a TED Talk. Um, she's a, a really good researcher. Um, there's a 20 minute The Power of Vulnerability. Uh, by August 2013 this video had garnered 10 million hits, 10, mil- 10 million views. And when I checked as I watched there were 54,743,311 views. For good reason. We're hungry for the freedom to admit our vulnerability. Brown pushes us to embrace our own brokenness with the reality that we're not alone in it. That we are or easily could be just one step away from the broken people all around us. Brown goes on to say, we are those people. The truth is we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, one affair away, one away from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we we pity. The ones we don't let our children play with. The ones the bad things happen to. The ones we don't want living next door. I opened today with the story of the woman at the well intentionally to help us see that Jesus does not show favorites, Jesus does not judge but I'm sure we all knew this. Jesus went to very broken people like you, like me, and he asked them to be his disciples. Before we make our next judgment, before we look the other way when someone looks different than us or acts different than us. Before we judge and, and damage ourselves from within, we need to remember all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But we also must acknowledge that Jesus came. Again, uh, so I watched this clip in preparation, um, Brene Brown. She, She says this key phrase. There was one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and the people who really struggle for it. And that was... The people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they are worthy of love and belonging. They believe they are worthy. Church, if you know anything about my testimony probably spent some some solid years in a space of feeling unworthy. Unworthy of God's love. Unworthy of the call. Church, I think... think we judge because there are parts deep down within us that we haven't let Jesus have access to yet. As a result of, of what we believe, we believe a lie that we're not worthy of love, we're not worthy of belonging, true love and belonging the way God intended. So we develop, I'm calling a gremlin We develop a gremlin of judging as a means to attempt to feel love, to feel like we belong. And and maybe this is just for me this morning, but judging and, and favoritism will never get us to a true sense of worthiness, a true sense of love and belonging. Jesus demonstrated for us and calls us, this is my title this morning, to a ragamuffin love. a Leaning in and loving a ragged and often disreputable person and not judging them one bit. I have some pearls of wisdom if you want to take them with you. Ways to stop judging. This one's pretty blunt. And again, maybe, maybe this is for me. Shut your mouth. People judge others because ignorance leads them, not wisdom. They may be gossipers or haven't gained control over their tongues. It's wiser to stay quiet when your thoughts shout untruths. Recognize, this is number two, recognize your biases. If you judge someone by first appearances, again here's that word, you deem them unworthy. Number three, cultivate love. Is your heart burning with love toward everyone you meet? When you train yourself to love others purposefully, you love your love is genuine and not put on. Love overflows even when people misunderstand you. Number four, have a charitable heart. Number five, major in innocence. It's possible to live blameless. Jesus did. According to Psalm 7, you can have an upright heart full of integrity. You do that by asking God to create a new heart and renew your spirit. Last one, be slow when judging. The only time Christians can judge others is, is when a fellow Christian is involved in blatant sin, or to love, lovingly call them to repentance, but shouldn't jump at the chance to point out their shortcomings. The love of God. Ragamuffin love. I pray today that you all have a sense of worthiness of the gospel that came for you. That's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give you thanks and praise for who you are again this day. Lord God, you know where each and every one of us are. You know if we're close to you. You know if we're distant from you. You know if we're somewhere in between, Lord God. You know if our journey with you needs help. You know if our journey with you is strong. Lord God, what we do know about you is that you meet us right where we are. We just have to be willing to take that step. Lord God, I don't know who needed to hear this today. Maybe it was just me and I got to share with brothers and sisters. I don't know. Lord God, help us where we need help. If we're feeling unworthy, Lord God, may you send people or messages our way to ensure that we know we are worthy of a gospel that came down, was poor, lived amongst the poor, called people who were outcasts and unliked people in society to be his disciples. You've given us the picture. You've given us the way May we lean into that and lean into your embrace this day. Help us to be your church. Help us to be love in the world around us. We love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your son's name. His name's Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Go in God's peace today. Thank you for being here.